Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning again. Good to see you. Uh, isn't it great? Baptism. I love, love seeing baptism. Uh, it's just it's a great day. Uh, we're going to be going to our time of teaching in just a moment. My name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. Uh, inside your program is a message note sheet we use every week for our, our time of teaching. And I do want to call your attention to one thing. If you're new here at the church, um, part of our growth path, inside your program, you'll see our growth path, how we grow together as Christ followers here, is, uh, is what we call our next step dessert. It's designed for those of you who are new to Rocky Peak to uh, just give you a chance to, to meet Lynn and I. It's at, uh, we have a dessert once about once a month in our home. This is a very casual time. Uh, we get to share a little bit of our lives, hear your story, a little bit about the church, have some dessert. It's just a great, great time to uh, get, uh, help you get connected. And so uh, the reason I mention that is that next Saturday night we're having our next next step. And so if you would like to sign up for that, you can either write it on the back of your Connect card that's inside your program, or you can go online and, and sign up online for our online registrations. Uh, either way works, but I would love to have you there if you're, if you're new. So um, we're going to be going to our time of teaching. Y'all ready to go? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church, in our lives, uh, how you're waking us up, calling us to a new level of relationship with you, and, and really teaching us uh, what, what it means to be a passionate Christ follower, what that looks like. And, and so, God, we, we pray that today we come to a very important topic, the topic of, of being a force for good in the world, that this is kind of part of our core calling as a Christ follower. We pray you just open our eyes to see what that looks like. Uh, you teach us by your Spirit uh, and, and that you transform us and change us as a result of being here. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today about 30 years ago, and, and uh, I'm not really sure how they met, but, but it was kind of you know, like, like a lot of young couples you know, you're starting off. Uh, uh, you know, he sees her across the room. She sees him. Uh, hey, do you think she, she might like me? Uh, do, do you think... Uh, that, uh, oh, do I want to ask her out? And so, and so you know how that, that dance goes. And so finally he decides to ask her out. They begin to date um, and, and they fall in love. And, and uh, they decided to get married. Now he, he, was a, he was a mechanic. Uh, she was a hairdresser. And so they, they decide that they want to spend the rest of their lives together. And so they get married. And as you know, a lot of marriages do in the early days, things were going really well. Uh, they they were, uh, they were getting along, glad they were married, looking forward to a life together. But as, as time went on, uh, things began to go downhill. And, and he began to become more harsh. And as a result, she began to withdraw increasingly. And uh, her heart that she was once so full of love was now turning to, to hate and to bitterness. And she was getting, just getting very hard-hearted to him. And, and as time went on, he began to be abusive. And so, so now she's really withdrawing. And she's beginning to wonder, why did she ever marry this man? What did she see in him? And she's just feeling stuck. She's feeling like she's going to be in this relationship for the rest of her life. There's no way out. In fact, at times, she actually begins to pray that God would take his life. Because she just can't see any way out of this, this bad relationship. At times, she'll be, find herself daydreaming. And she'll just, she'll just kind of picture his car going off a cliff. And, and, and ending it all. And, and so... Uh, obviously things are not really going well at this point. And so if you could stop the story at this point, it's a true story, by the way. If, uh, if you could stop the story at this point, you just kind of break into her life and tell you, you know what, I know this is hard to believe, but, uh, 
but God's got a plan for your life and, and, and that one day he's going to heal this marriage. In fact, one day you're going to find that you love your husband more than you ever have in the past. In fact, one day you're going to describe him to others as the godliest man you've ever met. And I'm sure she'd look at you like, kind of wonder what you've been smoking or, or whatever. But that's how the story's going to end. That's how the story's going to end. Today we're uh, continuing this series that we've been in since last spring. And for those of you who are brand new, I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, this series is called Freedom. And I always like to take just a couple minutes at the top of every message and bring you up to speed so you kind of catch up with us. This uh, series is about a letter. It's a letter from uh, the, the Apostle Paul. It's a study of a letter from the Apostle Paul, who's one of the key leaders in the early movement of Jesus, uh, to some new Christ followers who live in the Roman province of Galatia. So we call it the letter to the Galatians, Galatians in modern-day Turkey. And so he's talking about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And, and kind of the main idea of the letter is that Christ has come to set us free, that the reason he came, lived, and died for us is to set us free, to set us free from our past, to set us free from the judgment that was over our life as part of this rebellious race that's rebelled against its creator, to set us free from our dark side that's kind of with this magnetic pull to that which is destructive, to set us free to live a whole new life, not just this life, but for the next life. And, and so one of the big messages that he's been kind of uh, teaching us the last uh, couple of chapters is that the, the key to experiencing this freedom that Jesus came to give us the key is learning to follow, to listen, to follow the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us once we give our life to Christ. And so today he wants to take that teaching to the next level. He wants us to help us to, to understand what it looks like to follow the leadings of the promptings of the Spirit. Like when he's leading you, what, what can you expect him to lead you towards? And so we come to a passage in, in the, the final chapter of Galatians. We're in this final mini-series, uh, third and final mini-series called Community. And we're going to pick up the, the passage at uh, Galatians 6 and verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, uh, to turn there. So Galatians 6 and verse 7, Paul starts off and says, uh, Do not be deceived. Now, whenever the Apostle Paul, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, whenever the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived, it's sort of code for wake up, right? It's like the, the dashboards, uh, 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 the, the lights on the dashboard of your spiritual life should just be flashing, you know? Like, like warning, danger ahead, pay attention, don't miss what, what he's telling us is what I'm about to say is very important. And, and, it, and what he's kind of warning us is that uh, when Paul says don't be deceived, He's always telling us of something that really is possible for us to be deceived. Like he's never wasting words. He's telling us there's, there's, there's a danger that, of deception and, and it's really possible to fall into this. And so here's what, here he goes. He says, uh, do not be deceived. Here, here's the thing he doesn't want us to miss. God cannot be mocked, all right? Like, like what he says, uh, there's a major truth in life and that's that you don't want to mess with God, Right? Like, don't think you're smarter than God. God can't be mocked. And specifically, what, what he seems to be addressing is that in this church, there, there were some in this church who, who were teaching that if you, you kind, of, kind of come to Jesus, you believe in Jesus at some level, that it doesn't really matter how you live. You kind of go, go live like whatever because you, you're not saved by your performance anyway. And so you can live like whatever. And, and Paul says that's not true. But in fact, back in Galatians 5, he said the mark of a true believer is you've received the Holy Spirit who changes you from the inside out. Who you, you want to please God. If that hasn't happened in your life, you're probably not a true believer, even though you might believe intellectually certain things. And so what he's saying is uh, do not be saved. God is not mocked. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more what he means. And he says... Um, 
the one, uh, a man reaps what he sows. So, so he's using a farming analogy, a gardening analogy. Now, you've probably all had a garden or, or you've seen a garden or maybe you drove by a garden. Uh, what, uh, you've heard of a garden. Um, but you know how this works. Like when you have a garden or a field, what you plant is what you harvest. And so he's using that as a spiritual analogy. He says, that's the way what life works. Whatever you do is what's going to come back to you. And so he says in verse 7, um, a man reaps what he sows. And then he, gives, he explains what he means. The, the one who sows to please his sinful nature. Now, uh, in the Greek, sinful nature is the word uh, flesh. And, and so we call this back in chapter 5 the dark side. So he says that if you, if you sow to the dark side, uh, you're going to reap destruction in your life, both this life and the next life. And he says the one who sows to please the Spirit, as you follow the leading of the Spirit in your life, then from the Spirit you'll reap eternal life, in both this life and the next life. Okay? So, so back in chapter 5, he said that, uh, that when a man or woman comes to Christ, that, that not only to receive forgiveness of our sins, amnesty, kind of we're made right with God, but we also receive his Holy Spirit who comes to live within us, to lead us and guide us, change us, make us like Christ. He said, and, and what we learn back there is the key to our freedom is learning how to follow the leadings and promptings of the Spirit. So what he's saying here is don't be deceived. If you think of yourself as a believer, but you're not following the leadership of the Spirit in your life, you're following the dark side, uh, God's not fooled by that, right? And so it's not going to work out well for you. And so now he goes on in verse uh, 9, and he's going to tell us a little bit more what he means by following or sowing to the Spirit. Remember, he just talked about that. So if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap a harvest. Well, what does that look like? He's going to define that in verse 9. He says, uh, let us not become weary in doing what? Good. You see that? Let us not become weary in doing good. So what he's going to define is that when he talks, when he's talking about, about uh, sowing the Spirit, he's talking about following the Spirit's leadership in your life to become a force for good, that you'd be a person who's doing good. Now, we, we need to kind of clean out our minds here a little bit because sometimes like, when we think of like doing good, like the first thing that comes to our mind is like being a Boy Scout or something. And, and no offense, I think it's Boy Scouts, but that's not the picture here. What, what Paul is saying is that when Jesus came into your life, he came into your life to transform you, to make you a force for good wherever you go. Whether it's with the barista you're talking with at Starbucks, the, the, the person, you're, the, the, the checkout clerk uh, at Ralph's, uh, whether it's the mechanic you take your car to, whether it's the, the colleagues at the office, whether it's your family or extended family, that, that our calling as Christ followers is, is not just to believe in Jesus for our forgiveness, but to become a force for good. And that's what he means by doing good, all right? And we'll come back to that more later. So he says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Catch the analogy going on there? We'll reap a harvest uh, if we do not give up. And so uh, the analogy is, hey, you sow, to, you sow to the dark side, you'll reap destruction. You sow to the Spirit by, by doing good, then, then you'll reap a harvest. And catch this, he says, if we do not uh, give up. Um, have you ever ex- experienced this, that it's not always easy to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? Everyone ever been discouraged uh, following the, the leader, right? Uh, anyone ever want to give up like that? Anyone ever get tired being the only one at the office who's a Christ follower and taking all the flack? Anyone ever get tired of that? Uh, uh, anyone ever get tired of resisting temptation? Is that, or like, no, you're all good with that one. You're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it, it gets tiring sometimes, right? And so what Paul says is, hey, listen, I know it's not always easy, but you need to keep sowing the Spirit, follow his leadership, because in the end, you'll reap this incredible harvest. You'll be so glad you, you did. It's going to be hard in the, short, in the short run sometime. And then he says, verse 10, therefore, uh, as we have opportunity, in other words, he says, as you go through your life, as the Holy Spirit gives you opportunities, um, you're still on planet Earth. Uh, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Uh, you haven't gotten to be with Jesus yet. So this is the age of opportunity. While you have opportunity, uh, let us do what? Good. Say it again. Let us do what? Let us do good to whom? To all people. Catch that. Not just to Christ's followers. Not just to the movement of Jesus. He says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Whoever we come across. And then he says, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so he says our first priority, our first calling, is to, is to do good to those in this new community, this new movement of Jesus. That's our first priority. But he says, but, but as you go out there, you just to do good to, to whoever you come across, right? So that's the passage. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, I want to break this down. I, I see this as one of those pivotal messages in the life of a believer. That, that we're going to be talking that it's, it's a paradigm of what it means to be a Christ follower. It's extremely foundational uh, and basic to our faith. Not basic in that we all know it, but basic. Like if we don't get this, we'll never follow Christ well. So what Paul's laying out for us today is incredibly important. Probably one of the most important messages we could ever hear as a church. As he's going to define for us what does it mean to be a Christ follower. So there in your note sheet, uh, you have a section, this is a new paradigm, uh, the core calling of a Christ follower. And what I want to do is take this passage and kind of break it down into two basic principles. And the first one we're going to be much more familiar with. The first one is kind of Paul harped on the first uh, half of the book of Galatians. And so, so the first one's not going to be so much a surprise. It's just important that we start there because if we don't start there, we're going to misunderstand number two. All right? So we need to go back to number one, make sure we get clear on number one, then we're ready for number two. So let's jump in. Number one. The first principle goes like this. This is, the, what the, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. As Christ followers, we're not saved by our good works. Okay, so this is where we need to begin our discussion today. Again, laying the foundation. Uh, the first half of Galatians, uh, Paul laid this out for us so clearly that, that as members of the fallen human race, we are all born natural rebels. We're all in rebellion against God. We all have kind of an anti-God virus that's part of our human nature. We all want to do life on our own. We all want to run our own uh, uh, life. In one way or another, we've told God where to get off. And so we have lived in rebellion against him as a race. And as a result of that, the whole human race is under a judgment of God, right? And so the, the Bible's way of saying is that we're under the wrath of God. We're, we're kind of, we're, we're destined for destruction. And so when a man or woman comes to Christ, what's happening is that Christ is stepping into their life and saying, I will take the punishment that you deserve for your rebellion. I, I will switch places with you. You'll receive credit for my life, and I will take the punishment for your life. Does, does that make sense? We, we call this the great exchange. And so the human race is under a curse. Before you come to Christ, your life is under a curse. And, and so Jesus says, I will take the curse for you. And, and that's kind of the, one of the core messages of Christianity. So there in your note sheet, for example, earlier in Galatians, Paul explained it this way. He said, Christ redeemed us, he rescued us from the curse of the law. 
So we've all violated the law of the high king. We've all committed uh, high treason against the king of the universe. And, and, and the penalty for treason against the king is death. And so we're under a curse, and Christ steps in and says, I will rescue you from that curse. I will, I will bear the curse that's upon your life, and I will go to the cross, and I will take the punishment for your sin that you deserve, and, and, and I will give you in exchange my righteousness. And so he says, uh, the Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Uh, for it's written in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so th- this is core Christianity, isn't it? This is it, that, that there's nothing we could ever do to be made right with God. There's nothing we could ever do to pay back the penalty for our treason. There's, there's no amount of religious acts. There's no amount of good works we could ever do. Uh, we, we, we're like uh, the United States government. We got a deficit that's never going to end. It's just like we... We are so in debt, and every day we're more in debt. You know, that's what it means to be an American. And so this is what it means to be part of the human race is that we're in debt to God, and every day we go deeper in debt, and everything we do to try to pay it off just makes it worse. And and so we are in a heap of trouble, and Jesus has come to rescue us. And he's come to take the punishment that we deserve and to pay off that debt. And so we change bank accounts. We get his, he gets ours. And so uh, there in your note sheet, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it like this. Uh, Paul says, God made him who knew no sin. So he had no sin. He had, he'd never violated. He had perfectly loved God. He'd perfectly loved people. Uh, to be sin for us. He was our substitute. So that we might become the righteousness of God. God. Okay, and so so because of Jesus now, we're able to enter. That's what baptism is about, right? It's about when a person comes to the place, they understand this, you get baptized. You say, okay, that because of Christ, I can be made right with God. And because of Christ, I receive amnesty for all crimes committed against the king. And because of Christ, I don't receive just amnesty. I'm adopted into his family. I become a son or a daughter of the living God. And because I'm a son or a daughter, in Galatians 4, it says we receive the spirit of his son. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus comes in. And so he begins to transform and change us from the inside out so he can become like Jesus and spend forever the next life with him. Okay, so, so that's, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. And, and that's the first thing we have to be, get clear on today. It's not about you. It's not about your performance. It's not about me. It's about his performance. And, and so because of that, we're right with God. It's this incredible gift, okay? And so that's where we start, okay? But most of us kind of know that. We get that, okay? That was all set up for where we're going now, all right? So here's, here's, the, second, here's the second part that we often miss, the second principle that we often miss is that as Christ followers, we are saved for good works. Okay, so we're not saved by our good works. We're saved for good works. In other words, when Jesus came into your life, he didn't come into your life just to forgive you so you can go to heaven. He, he came into your life to change you to be like him, which is the greatest gift of all, and to become a force for good, that you could join him in this movement of bringing all creation back under the authority of the true king to turn all wrongs to right. And so, so when, you, when Christ came into your life, he came into your life to make the world a better place. 
right? To, to rescue creation and to bring it back to him. Now, this is the part we often miss. Um, and this is what Paul is calling our attention to in Galatians 6. There in Galatians 6, let's look at it again. Remember, he just talked to us about what does it mean to follow the leading of the Spirit, what he calls sowing to the Spirit. And then he defines it in verse 9, what he means. He says, let us not become weary in doing what? Good, okay, a force for good. That's what I'm calling it. And at the, uh, for at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to whom? To, to, yeah, to all people, right? Especially the household believers. So, so he says, this is why, this is what it means to follow. You've come to Christ. You've been forgiven. You've received his spirit. Now you need to follow the leading of the spirit as you do a legion of freedom. What does it look like to follow the leading of the spirit? Well, one of the things it looks like is becoming a force for good. Wherever you go, that you're going to be a force for good. You're going to make the world uh, a better place. Now, the New Testament teaches this over and over again. And, and today, I really wanted to spend more time here and look through a lot of verses just to drive it home. But just because of time, we're just going to look at the very best verse, okay? And the very best verse on this topic is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's there on your note sheet. Because in this one passage, Paul lays out both sides of what it means to be a Christ follower. That we're, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved for works. And so in 2, 10, or 2 uh, 8 and 9, he says, for the, he says, for it's by grace you've been saved. Okay, so that's the first side of this, isn't it? That we're not saved by our works. We're saved by God's grace. It's totally a gift. It's not about us. It's about Christ. So for by grace you've been saved. It's through faith, through our trust in God. And, and this is not from yourselves. It is what? The gift. Okay, so it's not about us. And then he, then he actually says it. It's not by what? It's not by works. It's not by your performance so that anyone can boast. Okay, so that's the first side. We're, we're, we're not saved by our works. Get clear on that. But look what he says next. For we are God's workmanship. In other words, we're his project. And we've been created in Christ Jesus. In other words, he caused you to be born again and come alive spiritually. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works and catch this, which God prepared when? In advance for us to do. And so what he's saying is for the Christ follower that, that he chose you before time began. We're told that over it. Before time began, he chose you that you would be a son or daughter. And the reason he chose you, we're told in Romans 8, is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. And he chose you that you would do good works, that you would be part of this movement to, to restore creation back to God. Are, are you with me in this? You follow us? Okay. Now, this is the part that we've often missed as Christ followers. We're going to talk about this later. We've often missed the second part. We've got the first part. We missed the second part. And so Jesus helps us to understand what this looks like in Luke chapter 10. And we're not going to turn there right now, but you can check it out later if you want to see if I'm telling the truth. But in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus tells a famous story. And here's how it goes. Uh, this, this, this religious leader comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Jesus, um, uh, what does it take to receive eternal life? Uh, what does it take to be part of the next life? And Jesus has this conversation. And in the process, they talk about the two great commandments, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so this, this, this leader, he says, well, yeah, Jesus, but, but like who really is my neighbor? Can we set some boundaries here? Like, because I, I want to know who my neighbor is and who, I love my neighbor, but who's my neighbor, who's not my neighbor? Like, are we talking two doors down? Is that my neighbor? You know, like three doors down, is that my neighbor? Do I have to go to the end of the block? But then I'm good, right? Get to the end of Coastal Oak on my street, I'm done. I have no more neighbors. Uh, it's like, like, what he wants to do is he wants to limit his liability, 
right? He wants to limit his liability of love. They said, like, who are my neighbors? So Jesus tells this very famous story. Now, some of you have been longtime Christ followers. You've probably heard this story before, but just listen carefully because there's going to be some nuances you might have missed. But he tells this very famous story, and we call this story the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, the funny thing is, if you were any self-respecting Jew of the day, would never have called the story that. Because for the Jews of their day, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan, right? That's an oxymoron. Because the Samaritans and the Jews had hundreds of years of racial and religious tension. Think of Northern Ireland, you know, Protestants and Catholics. That's like Jews and Samaritans, right? So they've had these years of tension. So there is no such thing. They don't live in the same part of town. They don't have dinner together. I mean, there's a deep racial prejudice there, religious prejudice. And so Jesus tells a story, though. And he says, once upon a time, there was a man. And he had to take a trip from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, it's a 17-mile trip. A journey. This road's out in the middle of nowhere. If you go there today, I've been there a couple times. If you go there today and drive it, it's still in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's nothing. It's desolate, big rocks, dry, deserty hills. Uh, not like sand desert, just like hard dirt uh, desert. And, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And so what would happen? It was kind of a dangerous road because often you would have bands of robbers or gangs. They would hide out. Then they, they, would, uh, they would attack uh, travelers and then they, they would beat them up and rip them off. And so uh, that's what happened. This guy is not his good day. He's, he's gone from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Sure enough, he's attacked, and, and he's beat up. He's left for dead by the side of the road, and they, they rip him off and take his stuff. So now remember, the, the, the people listening in on this story, they're all Jews, first of all. And secondly, none of them knows what's coming. Okay? A lot of you have heard or read this story, so you know it's coming. They don't know it's coming. Right? So let's, let's kind of put ourselves back in their shoes. So, so they're like, whoa, bummer day for this dude. You know, it's like, wow. This is a, so what's going to happen? This is a good story, you know? So they're listening in. And so Jesus said, okay, so this man comes along, and he's a priest. Now, if you're in the crowd, you're going, oh, awesome. This is good news. Because it's like one of our pastors or something. This is like a spiritual leader, and he's a Jew, and, and he's going to help this guy. But, but he gets there, and he doesn't help the guy. And we don't know why he doesn't help him. Uh, may, maybe it's because... Uh, it, Maybe it's because he's, he's busy, like he's got an appointment in Jericho. We don't know. Maybe it's because uh, he's afraid it's a trap. The robbers are still there. They're, if he helps, they're, they're going to get him. Uh, maybe he thinks the guy's dead. He doesn't want to touch a dead body uh, because there'll be ceremonial. We don't know why. But he, just, he doesn't even go check. He, just, he goes to the other side of the road like, oh, dude, bad, bad for you. Just kind of keeps on going. And so, so in the crowd, you're like, bummer. Gosh, you know. It's like, this story, this kind of sucks. I don't like this story. So anyway, so, okay, so, so next, next thing happens. Uh, he, he says, another man comes down the road. And you're like, oh, your hopes are getting up, right? That's good. And, and he's a Levite. Oh, awesome. Now, last week we learned about the tribe of Levi. Remember that? They're the special tribe of Israel, devoted to God, helping out the temple, stuff like that. Good, perfect. This guy's going to stop. But, of course, he doesn't stop. He just keeps on going the other side. And so to the crowd, you're like, what's going on here? It's crazy. And so, so Jesus said, now there's a third man that's coming. If you're in the crowd, you're like, oh, good. This is going to be good. Like, this is the guy. And he was a Samaritan. <laughs> like, if you're in the crowd, you're like, oh, this is bad. This story's going from bad to worse. Like, he's probably going to kick him or something. This is like, this is sad. And, and so what does Jesus do? He makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. He, he takes this man who has, has every right to hate this Jew and to cheer his what's happened 
and to say, oh, good, finally, good, another Jew dead, you know, like, and he makes him the hero. And th- this guy crosses racial boundaries. He crosses religious boundaries. And, and he steps up. And he doesn't just help this guy. I mean, he goes all out. He stops. He, he bandages the guy. He puts oil in his wounds. He wraps him up. He picks up the guy. He puts him on his own donkey. So now he's walking. He, he, he walks him down the rest of 17 miles. He gets him to the first hotel. He goes in, gets the manager out, tells him what happened to this man. He says, listen, he's going to need some help. He's going to need some medical advice. He's going to need some medical attention. He's going to need, he's going to need some food. I've got to go. But he gives him a big wad of bills. And he says, but here's money. I want you to take care of this guy. And, make sure, and he says, when I come back, I'll be coming back by this way. And when I come back, you just keep a tab. If this is not enough to cover his expense, keep a tab. We'll put it on my visa when I get back. Right? So, so, uh, and so, so everyone in the crowd, you, and you've got to picture, I mean, they're all like, whoa, weird story. Like, weird story. It's like the Catholic taking care of the Protestant in Northern Ireland. It's like, this is weird. And, and so then Jesus turns to this religious leader. He says, okay, so um, that's, that's really what it looks like uh, to love your neighbor. And so, like, which, which one would you say, uh, in your professional opinion, which one would you say of these three people were, were the neighbor? Which one was the neighbor? Well, of course, this Jewish leader, he doesn't want to say the Samaritan. It just even sounds bad. And so he says, uh, the last guy, I guess, you know, uh, is the one, the one who had mercy on him, the one who had mercy. And so Jesus says, okay, that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You just, you just kind of love people indiscriminately, even if they're enemies, even if they're, you think they're religiously wrong, they're a different political party, they're, you know, like, like you, just, you just love people. That's what you just kind of love people. And so in that moment, Jesus defines for us what it means to be a Christ follower, that, that we're to be this force for good, you see? Now, here's the interesting thing. This is the type of thing Paul's talking about. If you go back to Galatians 6, let's go back there now. In Galatians 6, look what he says, verse 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing what? Good. For at the proper time we'll reap if we do not give up. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity. Now, this is what happened to the Samaritan, wasn't it? He's walking through his life. He has opportunity. God brings an opportunity. God says, says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to whom? To all people. See, even enemies, even different political party people, even, even people that are religiously different, even people that are atheists, people that hate us as believers. It doesn't make any difference that that we do it to all people um, and, and especially then to those who belong to the family of believers, especially to fellow Christ followers. So, so our first calling is to do good to those who are in the movement of Jesus, that we're, we're in community, we're in life groups, we're here, we, we take care of one, we love one, and we do good, we're a force for good in community. But, he says, but as you go out, as you go out on your campus, uh, as you go out in your place of work, as you go into your extended family, your job is to be a force for good. You're, you're to make the world a better place and not in a self-righteous way that calls attention to yourself. That I'm a Christian, look how good I am, right? But, but in a very humble, uh, uh, unassuming way, just kind of serving the needs of people. He says, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, here's the thing. So, so catch this. So what does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means that, first of all, we're not saved by our works. We're clear on that, right? But, but we're saved for good works. 
to be transformed to be like Jesus, part of the movement of Jesus to, to transform and to heal and to make the world a better place. Now, here's the thing. There have been times in the movement of Jesus when we have just been spot on with this. I tell you, if you say the life of the early church, first few hundred years, there, there were times, man, the early church was spot on with this. Uh, let me give you an example. There, there in your note sheet, I put a quote from a, a book that's called 12 Greeks and Romans Who Changed the World. And there's this author, Carl Richard, and, and he's, ta- he's describing why Christianity spread so quickly in the first few centuries and, and took over the Roman Empire. And he says, you know, one of the reasons is because they were just known for their good. They just loved people. And so it didn't really matter. In the movement, they just loved people. And he said, it was like when you became a Christ follower, it's like you joined a family. Remember what Paul just said, especially in the family of believers. He's just like you joined it. So here's what he says. He says, converting to Christianity uh, back in those early centuries, it, it meant joining a family that offered physical, economic, and emotional support in exceedingly troubled times. Christians shared their wealth freely with widows, orphans, the elderly, the unemployed, the disabled, and the ill. They placed their lives at grave risk caring for victims of the plague and other natural disasters while pagans would flee the cities, you know, when the plague would hit. They they ransomed one another from barbarian captors. They distributed bread during famines. They visited prisoners and minors, the most wretched of all slaves. One group of Christians in Rome even sold themselves into slavery to raise the money to ransom their brethren from prison. They provided for the burial of the poor and were hospitable to travelers. Even the hostile Roman emperor, uh, whom the Christians called Julian the Apostate, this was like uh, mid-300s, uh, he said, these godless Galileans, that's what he called the Christians, uh, they're, they're followers of Jesus of, of Galilee, and they're godless because they don't buy into the gods of Rome. So he says, godless Galileans, they, they, they feed not only their own poor, but others while we neglect our own. And, and so there's been times in, in the movement of Jesus historically when we have just really got this right. We've done a great job, and we've just we've kind of lived out this second half of the gospel. We've just we've done good to whoever, wherever we've got, right? And, and, and he says that's why it spread so quickly. Of course, there's been other times when we've done tragic things, haven't we? I mean, other than in, in the history of Christianity, you think of the Crusades where we're killing, uh, we're, we're killing uh, Muslims in the name of Christ, you know, in these Crusades. Uh, you think of the Inquisition. Uh, you think of times where, where, where Christians are supporting the, the political or economic powers that are in power when, when they're committing huge and obvious clear-cut acts of oppression uh, and injustice. And so, and so you see both sides in the history of Christianity. I, I think one of the things as Christians, you know, we do, you, you meet someone and they, they, they start talking about the Crusades, they start talking about Christians, you know, full of baloney, whatever, that we just need to admit it. Like, you're right, I was absolutely wrong. That's not what Christ called us to do. It's like one of the, it's one of the things we're most ashamed of as, as a movement, right? So we, we're, just, we're clear about that. But, but, but for much of the time in the movement of Jesus, we've been neither hot nor cold. It's not, we've, been, we've been neither doing something great or doing something atrocious. We've just been lukewarm, right? We've just kind of been in the, in the middle. And, and one, of the, one of the most exciting things that's happening worldwide right now in the movement of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit is tutoring his church on this second half of the gospel. The Holy Spirit, 
Spirit worldwide is calling believers to understand that when you became a follower of Jesus, it was not just you could be forgiven and go to heaven, it's so you could be transformed and be like him and become a force for good on planet earth, that we bring all things under his, his leadership, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, and, and the Holy Spirit is, is he's like mentoring the church worldwide. And you see this all over uh, uh, the, the world right now as you see Christians beginning to respond increasingly to the needs of the poor. You see Christians reaching out and drilling wells for people who don't have water, fresh water who get sick. You see, you see prisons fighting for justice in oppressed, in oppressed areas. You see Christians going in and serving in an HIV clinic and serving people in the name of Christ. And you see this, uh, you see them fighting for, uh, against child pornography and, and the destruction of children. And so what you see worldwide is that there is a new movement where the church of Jesus is recapturing the vision that Jesus had. We're recapturing the second half of, of the gospel. And so it's, a, it's, it's a just a, it's a beautiful thing. Now, um, here's, here's the, I think the question for us then is uh, for us here as a church is, is what does this mean for us here at the church at Rocky Peak? Like what, is, what, does it mean for, what does it mean individually for you as a Christ follower? What does it mean for us corporately as a church? And, and I want to address that for just a few minutes. I want to talk first of all to those as individual Christ followers here, right? I, I want to ask the question, uh, what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? And, and here's what I want to suggest. Uh, I want to suggest that for many of us, we need a whole new paradigm of what it means to be a Christ follower. That that's where it begins. Um, I think that for, for many of us, um, if I were to ask you, say, prior to this message, like let's say someone at your job came up to you and said, hey, I know you go to church a lot. I think you're a Christian. Like what does it mean to be a Christian? Right? I think for a lot of us, this is what we would say. We would say, well, a Christian is someone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and who believes he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and go to heaven, right? That's what we'd say. Now, there's nothing wrong with that answer. That's absolutely true. The problem is it's only half of the story. It's only half of the answer. Are you with me here? See, the second half is he died for us so we could be forgiven, so he can come to live within us and transform us to make us like him so that we can become a force for good like he was to help heal and rescue this fallen world and bring the all of creation back unto his leadership. You see, that's the full answer. That's the truth. That's both sides of the paradigm, that we're not saved by works, but we're saved for works, okay? So the question would be, like in your life, like what is your paradigm? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? See, for my life, I feel for the last years, God has been challenging me on this. Then, Mike, you've got it wrong. You've got half the story. And here's the thing. Deep in my heart, I always knew it was wrong. There was something that didn't make sense. The part about Jesus dying and taking the curse, that made sense. But there was something weird about, so now what happens? I'm growing up. It's like, well, now what happens? Well, we wait you know, until we die and we go to be in heaven. What? Jesus came to planet earth and he died so I could wait, right? Like, like, no, 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 no. See, that's not the story. The story is that Jesus came to, to recruit us and change us to be like him so we become part of the movement. 
You remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you are the light of the world. Not you're the light of the next life. You're the light of this world. You're the ones who have to light it up. You're the ones who have to show the way. You're the one who have to show who I am and how life is supposed to be lived. So let your light shine. Light it up. Well, how do you light it up? He said, so let your light shine. He said, all men may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's how we light it up. Not by our words, but by our works. And, and when men and women, they see Christians serving, and they see Christians loving the poor, and they see Christians visiting the prisons, and when they see Christians fighting for justice, and they see Christians uh, uh, taking care of the least of these, the world sits up and says, that's not like anything I've seen. I've not seen anything. That's the way life should be. The light goes on, and it prepares the way for them to come to Christ, you see? So the question is, uh, What's your paradigm for what it means to be a follower of Jesus in your life? Is it simply that you believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins or that you believe in him to make you like him so you can do what he would do if he were here? You see, that's what we're talking about. Mm. You know, we started the day with the story of this young couple meet, fall in love, uh, get married, marriage starts to go downhill, harshness, then abuse, withdrawals going on, hatred is developing. Now she's praying that, that God will, will take him out, uh, that she can have her life back. And, and so into that situation, uh, God steps. And, 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 and someone shares the message of Jesus with this couple. And they both come to Christ. And they experience a radical transformation. They not only experience amnesty and forgiveness, they experience transformation. And so their lives begin to change. And you know, when God comes into a person's life, he changes in so many ways, and he changes in different ways for all of us. And in their life, one of the ways that he changed it, he began to put a love in their heart for children. They, they, they found out that in our country, there's, a, there's half a million children who are in the foster care system who don't have parents. And God began to touch their hearts. And they began this love for kids, and so they began to take in a foster child, and then it was another one, and it's like, well, there's more out there, and I'm going to take in more. And over the years, they've now taken in 32 foster children. And as they took in these kids, their heart began to grow for them, and they said, it's not good enough to, to take them in. We need to adopt some of these kids. So they've adopted 16 children. And if you were to go to their house today, they're now in their early 50s. They would have 11 children with them right now. And, and they would say they wish they had more, but, but they just don't have room. But here's the interesting thing. Along the way, God has transformed their hearts. That as you put that love in, as they acted on that love, as they acted on the love, they were transformed. And they became like Jesus in the process. And their hearts softened. And they grew to be like him. And so now, if you were to talk to that wife she would say that my husband is the godliest man I've ever met. Isn't that awesome? See, this is what God can do. This is what God, he doesn't come just to rescue us from the judgment that's over our life. He comes to rescue us so that he can restore us to be what we were created to be, which is in the image of God. 
to restore the image of the creator, that we would become like Christ and that we would therefore by definition become a force for all that's good and right and true wherever we go. Second question is then, so the first question is for you, for you for, what's your paradigm? Do, do you need a shift? Can I tell you something? I need a shift in my life. This has been going on in my life for, I don't know, 10 years maybe, but it's still going. And you know, it's hard. When you're raised one way, it's hard. And you, you define your whole life that being a Christ follower is just, hey, I believe in Jesus for my sins forgiven. I'm going to heaven. That's it. I'm done. When that's, when that's your paradigm, those are the only verses you see when you read your Bible. Because that's what a paradigm does. A paradigm, it tells you what to focus on and what to ignore. That's the way paradigms work. And, and so when that, if that's how you've been raised or that's how you became to Christ and that's what you've, you've believed, it's hard to see. We need to open our eyes and read our whole Bibles, right? We read our whole Bibles. And as we do, it's exactly what we see. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. We just saw it in Ephesians 2. So, so do you, do, I'm praying God changes my paradigm more every day. I, I, you know, I, I'm inviting you in that journey. You know, will, will you join me in that? Well, we all as a church, okay? All right, now, number two, the second question that I would ask is, uh, was it, what does it mean for us as a church to embrace this paradigm? And, and honestly, I, I don't know all the answers. Like, for those of you who know me any length of time at all, you know this, that I believe this with all my heart, that, that vision comes from God. That God has a vision for every church. And our job is not to create the vision. Our job is to receive the vision and then follow as he leads us. And so I, I can't tell you, well, this is what this is going to look like in five years. I don't know. But here's what I, I can tell you, that, that we just, we're just going to follow him one step at a time. We're going to let him define our future for us. That's what I can tell you. I promise you that. We're going to let him define our future for us. And so here's what I've been sensing, and you've probably been sensing this too, that this last year God has been redefining our purpose to some degree. That in this last year, he's been beginning to teach us some new steps about what it looks like to do good, and to be a force for good to all people. And so if you've been here over that time, you've seen this happen. You know, last August, I really felt like God was putting in our heart in the first, we did our first initiative to the poor. Uh, since that time, we've done a total of three initiatives to the poor. First one was to raise money to, to drill water wells for the poor in Ethiopia. Second one was to bring in food for the poor in LA. Third was to, to provide farm animals, to provide ongoing food supply for poor people around the globe through, through World Vision at Christmas. And on top of that, if you were here in uh, uh, October, you know, we did this ministry called Adopt-A-Block, where we actually kind of went out to part of our city locally here at, in cooperation with the city of LA just to do good in the name of Christ, just to serve people, to be a presence there of Christ followers, just loving people. And, and so, so this year we've seen some, some, some shifts, some shifts in the direction. And it's, it's so cool. You know, I was sharing this at Encounter last week, which, by the way, Encounter was unbelievable. But if you weren't, weren't here, and, and I know a lot of you couldn't be here, um, but and I was sharing this that, uh, you know, in our first water project, what we did last year, was if, if you weren't here, let me explain how that, that, how that worked, that what we did is we decided to go without beverages for a week as a church other than water. So, so instead of going to Starbucks and getting a drink or 7-Eleven or uh, McDonald's or at your restaurant or even at home drinking our beverages, our, our juices or coffee or whatever, we decided that instead of that, we would only drink water for one week, which was a healthy thing to do. But we're only going to drink water for a week. 
And, and this is going to help to make us aware of those around the world who don't have fresh water and as a result suffer all kinds of diseases and sickness and loss of work and loss of schooling and stuff like that. And, then, and what we're going to do is we're going to keep careful tabs of how much money we're saving by not drinking. The, and then we're going to bring it in as a church and just kind of bring it all in and we're going to see how much money we could raise. And I had no idea how much money we could raise. And I was blown away that we, were, we brought in that just from that one week, $24,000. Do you remember that? $24,000. And so we were working, we were partnering with this organization called Living Water International. That's a Christian organization. And, and they had told us it cost about $10,000 to drill a well. And I, I didn't know if we could get even part of a well. But, but uh, when, when I called them and said we got $24,000, they said, that's unbelievable. We can't, we can't believe that. And, and so they, they, a couple weeks later, they called me back and they said, Mike, because, because you have brought in so much money at once, we were able to go to our drillers in Ethiopia, which is where we wanted to drill, and, and we were able to negotiate and get three wells done for $24,000. And so they said, okay, so here's the plan. Yeah, so, so here's the plan. They said, we're going to drill one this fall, and then we want to drill two in 2011 by the middle of the year. And I said, great. And so I got an email about three weeks ago where they told me they have drilled all three wells. And so now there are three villages in Ethiopia that a few months ago did not have fresh water, that all they would drink was bacteria water. There is three villages that have all the clean water that they need just simply because we listen to what God, God said, what he called us to do. And it's so awesome because I wish I could tell you all the stories. I told more at uh, Encounter. But just one of the most moving stories was, was the story of this school. One of the wells was drilled at this, this school. And the kids there, they have no fresh water. And so they would go all day long, every day, without water. And, so, and then at the end of the day, they'd go home. And their job was to bring water for their families. So after their long day at school, they'd have to go take these huge containers, go down to the, the, the water source that's full of bacteria, fill up these, these cans, bring it home for their family. That was their chore. He said this schoolmaster was just elated because he said now the kids have as much fresh water as they want every day. They can drink it all day long. And at the end of the day, they just bring their containers to school now. And they fill them up. And they just take home clean water for their, their families. And, I mean, isn't that awesome? It's just beautiful. So we're sending a team over there. Yeah. We're sending one of our teams to Ethiopia from the church uh, in March. They're going anyway. And uh, Brian is going to, uh, Brian Moorhead, our, our past global ministry, he's going to stay an extra day. And he's actually going to go to one of these villages and videotape these people and, and what God's doing there. So just to bring it back and to show us what that looks like. But in the, in the meantime, um, I just want to give you, they sent me some pictures of, of these villages and these people. And, and it's really funny because when they sent them to me, I was like, I, I emailed back and said, now, you're, these are like, these are really our villages, Right. Like, these aren't just like generic drilling villages in Ethiopia. Because if I go before our people and I say, these are our village people, right? <laughs> our village people. Uh, like, uh, if I say that, I've got other problems. Uh, if, if I say that, like, I don't want to be saying that if this is not the truth, you know, because we want full, full disclosure integrity. And they said, no, Mike, these are, these are from your village, the ones that you did the thing. So we just got like three or four pictures. Here we go. Look at this. This is their, the drilling project where they're, they're drilling. That's a drill going in. Now, next, look at the next one. Catch this. Isn't that unbelievable? These are kids that didn't have water, right? That because of what God did here, they've got all the water they need. Look at the next one. I mean, do they get any cuter than that? Like, wow. 
And then look at this. On every one of those wells, there's a plaque, Living Water International and the Church of Rocky Peak. Isn't that beautiful? And so what can God do through us as a movement if we're just listening to his spirit and we're just asking him to lead us? You know, one of the things I'm praying is, God, would you just continue to release your spirit in our church this week, then this year, that we could be increasingly a force for good to one another in our life groups, in our extended church family, but but also out in the community, also all over the world. And what's he going to do this year? I don't know. I don't know. I know one thing. I know one thing. I met with an eighth grade girl who's got a vision. She's got a vision for the homeless in the San Fernando Valley. And I met with her this week, and that's going to be our next project. In a couple weeks, I'll be telling you about that. But I'm excited about this. I'm excited to see what does it mean. So what, what Paul's laying out for us today is what does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means to be someone who has been saved, not by works. But it means that someone who is saved for good works. That, that we become part of the movement of Jesus, that we're transformed from the inside out, that we learn to love people as he loves people, and that, and that we become a force for good wherever we go in our individual life or as a church, that, that we be part of this movement that Jesus taught us to pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and our church and we thank you for the way you're mentoring us. We pray you'd continue to do that. We pray that you would break down our old paradigm, that you'd raise up a new one that has both sides of the gospel. We're saved not by our works, but we're saved for good works. We're, we're saved to be a force for good. We pray you'd teach us how to let our light shine, that the world may see our good works and glorify our Father that's in heaven, that through this people might come to see who you are by seeing who you are in our lives. And by that, they would come to you and their lives would be changed and transformed. They'd be part of your kingdom forever. We pray you use our church, use this movement this way. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I love tear down these walls that all creation might come back to you. And it's our calling of, as a Christ follower that not only do we receive this amazing gift of amnesty, this, this gift of adoption, becoming the sons and daughters of the living God who live forever with him. Not only do we receive his spirit to lead and guide us, but, but the whole point is we be transformed to be like him, that, that we might become a force for good, that, that the, his kingdom might come and his will might be done. And, and so may that be the prayer of our heart. May that be our, the, the story of our lives. May that be the paradigm we embrace. Uh, this week, uh, next weekend, we're going to be uh, wrapping up this whole series in freedom. And I know some of you doubted that day would ever come. But uh, we're actually wrapping up. I'm very excited about it. Next week we're going to talk about what does it look like to be a countercultural community. Uh, Paul says that when we come to Christ, we're crucified to the world, to this world's culture. That what does it look like to be an alternate community, the kingdom of God on planet Earth? And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, it should be a, a great time together. We're also next week very excited about this. Uh, we have one of our own, one of our own uh, uh, people here at Rocky Peak that God's calling out to take the message of Jesus uh, to where uh, it's seldom gone, and that's the nation of Sudan. And so next week, uh, we are going to be sharing his story via video. He will be here 
uh, will be praying for him. And then the very next day, he gets on a plane and he's going off into that uh, very difficult uh, mission field. And so uh, we're going to be doing that. We're also going to be celebrating communion next week because as we wrap up Galatians, which is all about the cross of Jesus and the life it brings, we want to celebrate that together. So it'll be a terrific week. I hope you can join us uh, for that. Until then, may, may Christ be in you. May Christ work through you. May Christ be above you. And, and may, may you be the hands and feet of Christ wherever you go. May you make the world a better place in his name. May you let your light shine, that others may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And may he use you to help redeem and res- reconcile and rescue this fallen world to bring all things back to the Creator. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless. I'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.